0: Welcome to the Value Investor TV podcast. This is the podcast that helps you grow your wealth and become financially independent. My name is Becco, and my partner Hari. Welcome to our podcast. This is podcast episode forty-one and forty-two. This Next episode, this forty-one. This uh, this podcast. Yeah, this
1: is where our podcast has a midlife crisis. So
0: <laughs> we're gonna go buy a sports
1: car. Yeah, and a hot. Wife. Well, with all of our profits, so. value money.
0: Yeah, there you go. We're going to talk about NVR today. Um, this is, you might not think that, you know, this is, this is, on the surface it looks like a boring company, but if you look at, if you look under the cover, it's actually a very interesting company for us as value investors because we like money.
1: Yeah, and the the thing that's interesting about this, you know, and why I'm, we're I'm super excited about talking about it. This is actually one of the first companies I ever reviewed about 20 years ago, yeah. Um, and I was too stupid to buy it, and shame on you. 30 times my money later, I still haven't bought it. So shameful. Yeah. So the opportunity cost here is insane. That it's grand. I miss, yeah. What I missed on this. So
0: yeah. So let's do a deep dive on this uh, company in this episode, <laughs> talking about the business, like we always do. We we break down. Uh, every company using our checklist, Value Investor Checklist, which is in front of us right here. If you don't have it with you, please do reach out to us. I know several of you have, uh, and props to you guys. But if you haven't, reach out to us. We'll Be happy to send us out to you as well. At uh, just email us at info at valueinvestor dot org. So today, like we talked about, NVR—that's what we're going to talk about. But before we do that, um, just a quick disclaimer. Again, uh, this is you know this. What we talk about in the podcast this is really educational entertainment purposes we're not here to advise on your um, you know advice give advice on on your financial situation because we don't really know and we' are we don't we're not really poised to do that right in this podcast we use this platform to educate people on value investors value investing methodologies and also it's an entertainment podcast so uh, bear that in mind as you as you uh, listen to our our uh, Our episodes. So let's do. uh, Let's dive right in into our checklist, shall we? Yeah. So the first question is, what does the company do? And and uh, and could you describe to uh, could you describe what we do, what they do, in uh, pretty brief uh, brief sentences?
1: Yeah. So they're actually pretty straightforward. They build homes, single family, townhomes, and uh, condos in the eastern. Uh, part of the United States, yep. and in the places that they are, they tend to try to be the dominant home builder in that environment. So when they're building in an area, they're not trying to be, you know, one of the also rans. They're trying to make a big splash and, you know, be the big the big dog in that area. Yeah. <clears throat> and so, about twenty three percent, twenty four percent, as of the twenty seventeen annual report. So they've reported. 2018 results but they haven't issued the annual report yet so that's why we're using the 2017 annual report um but we will talk about the 2018 financials um so 23 percent is in washington dc and nine percent is in baltimore so a fairly large geographic concentration um, in that area because they're based in virginia so um but they actually go all the way down to uh, the southeast, yeah, um, to Florida and uh, all the way west to Ohio. So, um, you know, they're not a, uh, uh, you know, and and they have two lines of homes. One is called Ryan Homes, yeah. which is the um, uh, the lower end. So they they say that that's the first home a person would buy would be a Ryan home, and then when they are ready ready to move up. They will buy into their NV Homes or Heartland Homes yeah. uh, line, which is uh, more of a move-up or luxury buyer type yeah. uh, home. So, starter homes versus... So, they they cover b- both sides of the spectrum.
0: Yeah. I want to cover this. I want to touch on what they do specifically more in detail before we go into, like, geographics and different brands. Uh, so, they are... so So, I'm just probing probing you uh, with these questions. Yeah. Do they, so they, do they buy the land or do they, so how did that work?
1: Yeah. So the, it, it's an interesting kind of thing. So if you've, you've probably seen, there are a lot of companies that do this, Lennar, uh, Kaufman and Broad, KB, KB Homes, uh, I guess what they're called now. Um, and, and there are several other home builders. So they are a general contractor. So what that means is that they are responsible for sourcing, land building the house and then selling it to a customer and they can do this in <clears throat> a lot of different ways the way NVR approaches it is they don't actually buy um, buy up the land um, they will buy so instead of buying like a large swath they'll buy up rights to build on that property so they don't actually do the land development which means they don't develop the neighborhood they don't develop uh, that so they're buying it at market price from somebody who has already built, uh, built up that uh, the land development, so they've gotten permits. This is residential area. They know exactly what they're buying, so they may be paying a higher price than somebody who does land development. Um, but what they're getting is uh, the opportunity to leave if there's something changes in the area. Yeah. So there's a natural disaster, and then you know that area is no longer fit. They can walk away from that yeah. and only pay ten percent of the uh, purchase price.
0: Yeah. Um, there's something that that was also interesting. All this contracting uh, is also done on pre-sold basis.
1: Yeah, so they're not really trying to buy up. When their their idea is when they're building the house, they already have a buyer, yeah. <clears throat> and so that allows them to, you know, to type kind of preserve their capital. Only about fifteen percent of their things are purchased or canceled later, yeah. and that can be for a lot of different reasons. And there may there's a penalty if they they're they're canceling, yeah. but. Um, you know, then they would have to find somebody else to buy the house. So the idea there is that they're not going to build up a huge inventory that they can't sell. Yeah. Um, and they're not fronting the cost of a lot of this stuff. And then the, the other leg of this is that they actually will originate a lot of the mortgage loans for the houses that they do.
0: Yeah, that's another side of the business that this kind of... <coughs> if you look on the surface, you know, this they're just home builders. But, on this, but if you look deeper into the business, they also have mortgage... Banking and title services as kind of another leg of the business.
1: Yeah. And so when they do that, what they're really doing is when they buy up the house or when they, they originate the loan, they're not the servicer of the loan. So after, you know, after they close the loan, they 30 days out, they're going to uh, sell the loan to another uh, provider, yep. um, you know, a bank or a secondary uh, market. So
0: yeah. Yeah, I just want to touch on the geographic diversification, uh, like you talked about, mostly in the you know, Mid Atlantic. Um, let me just give you guys some numbers here. In 2017, uh, Mid Atlantic, so that's Virginia, DC area, 3.5 billion dollars in sales. Northeast, so I imagine this is kind of like nor- like Northeast of New York, Boston, that, that part of the country, about 500 million. So you know, quite significantly less than Mid-Atlantic. East, 1.2 billion. And then Southeast, 8 billion. Or Sorry, 8 million. 800 million, rather.
1: Good. Yeah. And so the Southeast is actually their largest, or is their fastest growing area. Mm-hmm. And so that's, you know, South Carolina, Florida. Florida, yeah. Uh, that area. So um, they're going to have, <clears throat> there's a lot more interesting things going on in that area in terms of, Big population growth, so they're building and uh, and even though it's a small part of their business, I think that's going to be a bigger uh, percentage going forward. Yeah. Um,
0: also, I just want to give you guys the stats because I think this is interesting. Kind of contextualize what we're talking about here. The prices at which uh, they settle homes range approximately from one hundred thirty thousand dollars all the way to two two million. So on average, it's around three hundred, three hundred, about four hundred thousand dollars. And like car talked about, there's a range here, right? Ryan's home, starting from kind of budget, lower end, to all the way to kind of luxury uh, offers uh, with brands like NV Homes and Heartland Homes.
1: Yeah, and those the 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 average sale price, uh, you know, translates to a house of about a thousand square feet to ninety five hundred square feet. And you know, I, I think you know if you've never built a home, I just built a home. Yeah. You could, yeah, speak uh, from your experience. You know, using my value investing profits. Ooh, okay. Uh, so, um, I'm fancy like that. <laughs> um, the, uh, you know, the interesting thing about a house uh, when you have it is the general contractor is really kind of responsible for permitting, for making sure all of the subcontractors are lined up mm-hmm. and the timing is right so that they can, you know, show up on time and, and do that. So when they... So th- NVR doesn't actually build the house. They subcontract other people to come in and build, you know, do the actual labor, and they do it at a fixed price. So if it's a 9,000 square foot house, that's how much concrete needs to be poured. There's a fixed price associated with that. Mm -hmm. So when we talk about, like, when we get to talking about competitive advantages and things like that, there isn't a whole lot to be had here as far as, you know, they don't have better subcontractors than, you know, say... KB Homes or Lennar they may actually be using some of the same subcontractors you know. yeah'
0: that's an that's yeah. interesting thing that I want to kind of make sure we pivot to so when we talk about so the next bullet point in the checklist is okay now that we've talked about what the business does, let's talk about the, com- the company's competitive advantage and so we have a list of them uh, Brand is it a brand is it network effect switching costs? low cost intangible assets? you know does the company have any of these or you know multiple of these? So that's the question that we have to answer, which is the second question in the checklist, and that's what Har is alluding to here. So, kind of running off of that, um, so you're saying there is no really a definable competitive advantage for these for these guys.
1: So th- they do have a competitive advantage, and it's a little bit hard to quantify how how you would put that into you know our checklist. Mm-hmm. And they may have a ch- uh, they may have a brand um, a brand. Uh, in that, so, so let's, let's step back for a second and tell you how they sell a house, right? So they're going to go to an area, they're going to put up a model home. This is very standard in, you know, when you go to the suburbs of most cities, the way that they build houses is they'll have a neighborhood with a lot of their own homes and they'll have a model house that's kind of fully furnished to kind of give you an idea of what your house would look like. You walk into that, um, you know, the garage of this place and they'll show you different, you know, carpeting, different, you know, styles, you know, different things. And there's a salesperson who's going to try and sell you a house in that neighborhood, maybe take you around, look at some of the homes that are in construction. Yep. And then they'll get a commission based on how, you know, what they sell, yep. right? That's kind of the idea of how this process works. So, what they the way that they do this is they're really it it falls into a low cost provider because they're not floating their business up front right they are buying the land and they are trying to reduce their inventory by not selling houses unless there is already a buyer right so they're not building a house and floating it on their own money right mm. so those are that's what they quantify as their backlog right yep. and that backlog is you know growing every year as they're expanding into you know more markets and building more houses, um, that so there is a moat there because when you look at their return on capital, it is extremely high. You know, I mean, they, they're thirty percent return on equity, and largely because they have, I think a they have a business model that is very cost efficient. Right, they're not sitting on a bunch of inventory and not risking a lot of their capital when they're building houses. Yeah, and so that. Again is hard to quantify. I wouldn't say it's a super wide moat because they are they are not protected against recessions. You know, when a recession happens people stop buying, you know, new houses. Uh and it really will affect their their you know, their business. Yeah. But that that being said, they're also not risking a lot of capital.
0: Yeah. So kind of going back to the competitive advantage discussion here, I think so like you, you talked about price is a big one for them. Yeah let's say let's say i'm going out let's say i'm on the market for a house i am visiting all these model houses for me like who does the construction who manages the property building doesn't really affect me that much no. so brand not so much moat i mean brand not really network there's no network effect switching costs low cost intangible assets like you talked about i think housing from my vantage point it's just a you know, when we're talking about just regular houses, it's just commodity business. Sure. So, them f- for these guys, like you ta- like you sa- like you said, it's really about the low low cost provider. Yeah. So low cost provider wins, and like you said, because they have this operational efficiency in capital management, they're able to they're able to be that. They're able to be the the lowest cost provider. Right. Uh, in this segment, so.
1: Now, and that being said, that's not a business model that other people can't copy yeah but i think one thing that they've done is that they're a fairly big player in these areas that they are you know in the mid-atlantic region where they're a very dominant uh, builder that gives them the ability to say look i don't have too many options when i'm buying mm-hmm. so if i'm going to be buying you know a house it's going to end up being them yeah. just by default right yeah. there you know if i'm the dominant player in that market then there's that means that they've edged out other people, and you don't have much of a choice in if you're in the Baltimore or, you know, uh, Washington D.C. area.
0: Yeah. Okay. Competitive advantage, um, and I think we touched on this. The third question is: How durable is the competitive advantage? You know, you t- kind of alluded to that earlier. So let's move on to the next question: What is the company's long-term perspectives, Pro- prospect rather, uh, and, and runway for growth?
1: Well, so I think you know this is actually pretty straightforward they're in the east eastern half of the united states they don't operate any international business they have the rest of the united states that they can go to right so i mean expansion you know 10 15 years ago they weren't in the southeast you know they didn't have a much of a presence there so this is something that's you know over time they just keep growing into other markets um, and so they can buy, buy other companies in you know, in other regions, or they can continue to build. So, I mean, I, I didn't go back, you know, that far, but I didn't see any purchases, um, in their, you know, in their history. So I, largely what they're doing is just slowly expanding. And then when they get into a dominant position in the market, they just continue to grow, mm-hmm. uh, in that area. So, I mean, their long-term prospects, I think are very bright, you know, they're, Every year they're building more homes you know recessions are always a bump for for a company like this uh, but they just continue to you know expand um, into new areas yeah I
0: imagine um, I imagine there will be you know quite a bit of resistance in the existing markets the players who already play in that market for example if they want to kind of if they want to come to Texas I'm sure there is a player out here that is pretty dominant in Texas market sure. so when they want to come here you know it's going to be it's going to be pretty brutal competition i imagine
1: yeah and competition is always a problem right you have all the way down like the builder that we used is 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 not a national chain yeah like like these guys are right and you know that was we were that we met with these people they were fully custom home builder and that's what we felt comfortable with right you know this is a kind of a different space right there's you certainly have, even within their own market, There, there is no way that they can have a monopoly, right? They can't be the only home builder, sure. right? There is very low barrier to entry. One person can be a general contractor and they can offer their services. And that's actually a fairly common business model. But where they have the ability to do interesting stuff is they actually do do joint venture deals on land development and things like that, which allows them to buy up larger parcels of land, um and so I think there's also some level of um they can buy up more land when and sell more homes up front before somebody else comes in. So were they to enter a new market, it's going to be, you know, competitive for them to get into a dominant position, but they also have they generate so much cash from all, from building these houses that they have a the ability to do that.
0: Yeah, I think kind of going off of what you said, I think one of the I'm just trying to think in my head, right? Let's say I'm a small, contra- like a small competitor to these guys, and they have a lot of cash sitting on their hand. What gives them the advantage in terms of you know, competing in the market? You know, is it, you know, is it their size? Is it their operational efficiency? Is it their history? I think you touched on just the sheer capital that they have that they can deploy uh, that I can't. You know, so they might be able to buy a whole swath of you know real estate. And, and, and do that uh, at, a, at a lower cost because they're buying whole, you know, buying a big, big chunk. Instead, for me, you know, if, let's say I'm a small contractor, I only have a certain amount of capital to work with and I can't, I can't scale to that level. So there is some scalability at play here.
1: Well, I, I think the other thing that you have to remember is when you're building a house or you're having somebody build a, a going to get a house built, working with a contractor can be a nightmare right like we had an excellent contractor and it was very pleasant to work with but you know you can you can easily get stiffed by these people like they just suddenly quit in the middle of the thing and then now you're left with a house that you can't you know that you got to go find somebody to finish you know these are all of the kind of the problems that you have with when you're building this stuff so there is some level of oh they're a big brand they're not going to just jump ship right mm-hmm. so there is something to, to be said for that there's also something to be said for comfort in hey i bought a house it's i, I really liked it you know that they built me a ryan home and i'm upgrading to the, you know to the to the second level mm-hmm. so there there is there's other things that are at play here um and i think also when you look at how people look at homes you know because i I, I agree with you that there isn't a whole lot of selling benefits that they have. There isn't. But the scale that they have is allows them to do a lot more. Yeah. And I think that's where their operational efficiency comes in. I would also say when we start talking about their return on capital, it's insanely high. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So there is something going on here that, uh, you know. Uh, that we need to figure out what it is, right? Because this is a very, very well-run business, right? I mean, from a financial standpoint, you look at this, and you should be uh, very interested in taking a very much closer look when you see these kind of numbers.
0: So I think that's a good segue into the next question. Does the company require a lot of capital reinvestment to maintain its business? Can it grow without any further reinvestment?
1: So that first half of that question, the answer is no. Right, I mean, they're they're not yeah. actually. Co- it doesn't take a lot for them to to do this. Yes, they have capital up front, but they're really putting down a ten percent on the land, you know, to secure the land rights. Then they're putting down. Uh, they're actually selling the home before it's completely built, right? And this is you know to protect them from uh, having to put up you know buy build a f- full house. Than have a three hundred and fifty thousand dollar house that yeah, they're just, sitting, just on sitting on their books yeah, you know, for a long time, and so that will happen. Like in a recession, they will that inventory will build up, and they'll have to clear that backlog of inventory before they start building sure. homes. So there's, you know, you didn't see them really fully recover <clears throat> until two thousand twelve, and then in two thousand twelve, things just till. 2017 things were just going up like crazy because people are buying ha- homes all over the place interest rates were super low and so they're able to make a lot of money and their profitability just you know went up mm-hmm. so but they do need to reinvest in their business but if you look their capital expenditures is like you know 20 million dollars a year for a nine billion dollar company because it's a basically a people operation yeah right um they do have to invest in, but yeah. it's, I mean, their employees are basically managing the the building of the house. Right? Yeah. What is it
0: going into, like the CapEx, do you know? Well, like so what,
1: they, <laughs> their depreciation is actually for, um, for their headquarters, probably. Just the building? The building. And, you know, and, and equipment that they need, like trucks and stuff like that to mm. get people around. And then they're going to replace that with, you know vehicles so that people can drive around to visit yeah. the sites and things like that. So there there isn't a whole lot of magic in the in yeah. the way what you're seeing in this. There's not a whole lot of hidden balance sheet items or anything like that. Mm-hmm. This is you know if if this is the first company you analyze, this is a perfect company to analyze because it is a very straightforward, you know, type of business.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. I'm looking at their cash flow statement but um Interesting, uh, interesting stuff. We'll go into more in detail the financials in the second episode, episode forty-two. But let's stay on the let's stay on track here on the for the checklist. So we talk we talked about the capital reinvestment. Let's move on to the next question. Does the business have favorable relationship, relationships with the following customers, suppliers, employees, regulators, slash community? Um.
1: So I, I would say customers I, I haven't heard any complaints you know i didn't i looked up on you know various review sites you're always going to have people who complain about sure. stuff so it's kind of hard to tell mm-hmm. and i don't have any personal uh experience mm-hmm. but i would also look at their you know their 30-year history that you know of financials and say that clearly they're not having a <laughs> problem with yeah, with exactly. that so yeah. um as far as suppliers go <clears throat> you know, that suppliers would really be their contractors, contractor, Sub- subcontractors, subcontractors. Yeah. and not no one subcontractor. You know, these subcontractors are going to be a 5, 10 person operation, and they're going to have hundreds of these that they deal with. So, and I imagine the general contractor in charge of an area is going to be man- managing these people. It's not going to be at the corporate level. Yeah, at, co- at corporate level. So, yeah. I, I think this is a you know, is a non-issue that they can easily switch suppliers Mm -hmm. whenever they need to um, uh, without much trouble. There is going to be some question, though, I think, when we talk about regulatory. Sure. uh, And that's where home building is going to be a problem. So, you know, uh, we built our house after Hurricane Harvey, or it was in the middle of Hurricane Harvey. And there was a lot of flooding in the city of Houston the year before. So the... Our builder actually built in three different cities around surrounding Houston with all different you know requirements, and so Houston had the highest level of permitting. So we had a lot of extra expenses, and they actually allocated about twenty percent, uh, ten uh, percent of our entire purchase price just for city of Houston stuff that we had to do. So you know that's that's a fairly significant that's amount. A of overhead. Money. That's overhead. That's
0: yeah quite a bit of overhead right there right 10%. and so
1: yeah so when you talk about re- and now we didn't actually f- they they put that into the budget and yeah but we ended up spending about five percent of that uh oh got it yeah. uh, of the total ap- amount got on it. city of houston stuff so yeah um i mean the city of houston made us rebuild our stairs because they were an uh sixteenth of an inch lower on one side than the other oh, my gosh. so which is fine i mean <laughs> you know it's it's nice but i mean sure. we had the most anal retentive like inspector right <laughs> and so if you build out in the country like my my in-laws did there was no permitting right you could basically build whatever you wanted to yeah. so that obviously saves you money but it may make the house less safe or you know maybe it, it may not sure so. yeah
0: yeah so it's interesting relationship with regulators i mean also i think uh with loan origination also and they're yet still with the regulators here on this on that front also right for this business yeah because remember uh, they do they do home building obviously we talked about that but they also do you know the the loans and the title services
1: and the mortgage stuff is actually fairly profitable right like a lot of that just goes straight to their bottom line you know when you look at their cash right they Mm -hmm. originate the loan they have a closing cost associated with that and that's basically all profit so yeah yeah, anything
0: else you want to add regarding that regarding this question? No, or I, any questions above?
1: No, I, I think uh you know, this is a fairly straightforward business to understand. There's not a whole lot of magic. I mean, their annual report is like 60 pages long. Um, and, you know, I think the the business introduction is like a page and a half. And yeah. There's not a whole lot there. It is pretty simple, yeah. So, you know, we we you know, if you're if you're seeing like what's the secret here? you know there's not really a whole lot so
0: mm-hmm. yeah we'll, we'll talk about why this company is so interesting in the second episode yeah because i think that's really when we talk about numbers that's when this company really shines yeah so we'll talk about that in the next episode thank you guys for joining us in this episode episode 41 we'll see you on episode 42 thank you guys thanks